The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Well, praise the Lord. Good evening. It's great to be here with you. Um, Pastor Ray, my dad, your pastor, he is in Texas still and will be heading home tomorrow so you can keep him in your prayers. Uh, But he will be back with us next Sunday. We'll jump back into our study in the book of Acts. But for tonight, you get me. So open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And I just have to say, I thought Pastor Sean did an outstanding job last weekend talking about prayer. And so I kind of want to just piggyback off of what he shared with you and dive deeper into the subject of prayer And uh, we're going to be talking tonight on this topic. The the title of my sermon for you is Winning the Battle Within. Winning the Battle Within. Philippians chapter 4. But before we get to that, I want to start with a question. How many of you, by a show of hand, are worriers by nature? Where are my worriers? You're a worrywart. You're worried right now about what other people are going to think of you if you raise your hand. You would classify yourself as a realist. I'm not a worrier, I'm a realist. Come on, if worrying were an Olympic sport, where are you? Keep your hands up. Wear it like a badge of honor. If it were an Olympic sport, you'd have a gold medal. Okay, I am one of you. So I'm gonna place myself in that camp. I'm a natural born worry wart. Um, I even worry when things are going well. You know what I'm talking about? You start to think, well, maybe they're going a little too well. And it's just a matter of time before everything falls apart. I get it. There's a lot to worry about these days. In case you didn't know, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. There's economic hardship that many of us are experiencing. There's social unrest that's popping up like wildfires in different parts of the U.S. And all of these factors have led to unprecedented spikes in anxiety, depression, substance abuse, and suicides. Listen to this statistic. Just uh, this past June, a couple of months ago, 40% of U.S. adults reported struggling with either mental health or substance abuse. Everything that we've endured in the past eight or nine or 10 months now, it's taken its toll on us and its effects are starting to show. That's just a staggering figure. And obviously, we have a huge problem on our hands. So the question is, what are we supposed to do when anxiety attacks? Well, when you look online, which I went ahead and did for you, you'll find all kinds of tips and tricks to help you handle stress, deal with stress, or cope with stress. Some of those tips are practical and insightful and helpful, and others of them are just flat out bizarre. Now this one would land on the bizarre side of things. I seriously read this in the paper this morning. I just stumbled upon this article by the BBC. It released an article, maybe some of you saw it, about a new trend that's helping people deal with their stress. And so what is it? Well, it's the practice of cuddling cows, cow hugging. I'm not kidding. This is true. According to the BBC, the practice of cuddling cows, which 
reportedly originated in the Netherlands, in case you didn't know. Over there, it's known as Konuflin. It's supposed to reduce stress in humans by releasing the bonding hormone oxytocin. The article went on to say that cows are chosen specifically for their warm body temperatures and calm demeanor. Cows are very relaxed animals. They don't fight, they don't get in trouble. A farm owner who promotes the practice told the BBC, you come to the fields and we have some special hugging cows and you can lay next to them and people think it's very relaxing. So there you have it. This can be a short sermon. If you're suffering with stress, anxiety, depression, worry, are these your constant companions? Then all you have to do is go find a field, locate a cow, snuggle up next to it, give it some pets, and you'll be right as rain. You'll be good to go, right? If only it were that easy, right? Maybe you're allergic to cows. Or maybe you don't live next to a field that happens to house cows. And so we have, a str- we have a struggle. We have a problem, right? If only... So what are we supposed to do? The truth is, anxiety and the issues that I just mentioned are serious issues. And they deserve a serious strategy. We need to know what does God's word say about winning the battle within. And I'm happy to report to you that God hasn't left us in the dark on this subject. He's given us the tools that we need to be set free. We don't have to live as slaves to worry and fear and depression and anxiety. And so what I want to do is I want to read through our text, and we're just going to work our way through a couple of verses here in Philippians chapter 4 and see what God has to say about winning the battle within. Let's begin in verse 4. Here's how Paul begins the, the final portion of his letter to the church at Philippi. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. In case you didn't get that, I'll say it again. Rejoice. Hallelujah. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, pay special attention to verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In the first part of verse 6, Paul tells us plainly, be anxious for nothing. The message, which is a paraphrase of the New Testament, translates that phrase like this. Don't fret or worry. Now, I want to distinguish between stress and anxiety because they're two different things. We all get stressed out from time to time, and stress is a somewhat normal response when your body is being attacked externally. It's a response to an external cause, such as a deadline at work or perhaps having an argument with a friend, something like that, but it usually subsides once the situation has been resolved. Anxiety is different. Its origin is internal. It's typically characterized by a persistent feeling of apprehension or dread. As a matter of fact, the Anglo-Saxon word from which we get our word anxiety derives from, it's a word that means to choke or to strangle. That paints a picture for you, doesn't it? The Greek word for anxiety, when Paul says be anxious for nothing, it derives from a compound word which literally means a divided mind. 
Now, doesn't that paint an apt and fitting picture of what worry does and anxiety does to us? It strangles our happiness and pulls us apart. I heard that one preacher say that, that, that worry is, is almost like a kind of faith, only it's the wrong kind of faith, right? The Bible talks a lot about faith, but this isn't the kind of faith we want. Worry is faith in the negative. You see, if biblical faith believes that the best is always yet to come, then anxiety always believes the worst about the future. You see, that's what makes it so dangerous. Corey Tin Boom, who was a great saint from a generation ago, said this, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It merely empties today of its strength. Listen, friends, you weren't designed in your bodies the way, God, the way God made you. You haven't been designed to carry anxiety and stress. Studies have shown that worry causes all kinds of physical problems. You're familiar with the phrase, I'm worried sick. Well, that's truer than you may think. You see, worry saps our strength, it robs our peace, it destroys our joy. But we already know all of that. Our problem isn't that we need to be convinced that worry and anxiety are bad or, or that they're, they're bad for us or that they're going to harm us, right? None of us are sitting around saying, I want to be anxious. Let me start thinking about all of the terrible things that could happen in my life. That'll be fun. That's not how it happens, right? Our problem is that anxiety, it sneaks up on us and it attacks us out of nowhere. And once our minds start racing and they hop on that train, it seems like you can't get off. It's inescapable. That's what makes Paul's command to be anxious for nothing so striking. I mean, who does this guy think he is? Where does he get off telling us to be anxious for nothing? Perhaps you're thinking, Paul must have been one of those guys that had it made in the shade and whose life was easy from start to finish and he was born with a golden spoon in his mouth and no bad thing ever happened to him. And we might be tempted to think that if we didn't know better. Right, as those of you who are familiar with your New Testament know, from the moment that the Apostle Paul gets saved on the Damascus Road to the end of his life, his, his entire tenure on the earth is filled with nothing but uh, event after event of calamity and destruction and hardship and heartache. This guy had it really bad. As a matter of fact, when Paul wrote the letter of Philippians, he was actually sitting in a Roman jail cell. He was changed 24 hours a day to a Roman guard. He had lost his freedom. He's awaiting a trial before a wicked king named Nero, and he's probably going to die. He didn't know how things were going to turn out. And if anyone had a right to be anxious and worried, then certainly it would be someone in Paul's circumstances. Yet that's not what we find. Instead of the hand wringing and the pacing back and forth and the panic state, what we find is a man who had perfect peace. So again, the question is, where did Paul's peace come from? Was he crazy? I guess that's another alternative, right? And we might think, well, you know, crazy people, they can just, they can have peace because they're out of their minds and they don't know what's really going on. But again, we can't say that about Paul because if you've read the New Testament, you know that he wrote many of the books that comprise the New Testament and what you find in his letters is one of the sharpest intellects that this world has ever known. So again, I ask you, where did Paul derive his peace? How could he, someone in his situation, say something like that? 
And he doesn't leave us to guess. He goes on to tell us in the second half of verse six, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, everybody say in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Here's what Paul says. Be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything. Be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything. Be anxious for nothing. Pray about everything. You see, according to the apostle Paul, prayer is the answer. It's the antidote for anxiety. Now, I realize in saying that, that that's not flashy. It's not going to make any headlines. It's not cool. It's not trendy. It's not like cuddling cows. That's got a certain pizzazz to it, you know? It's like a secret thing. Oh, I just hugged a cow and I'm better. It's like, this is old fashioned. It's simple. It's straightforward. And yet, according to the Bible, it's exactly what we need if we want to win the battle within. Now, here's what I appreciate about Paul's advice. He doesn't tell us to ignore our anxiety or deny its existence or to run away from it. Instead, he tells us to face it head on and to bring it to the Lord and to to pray and bring all of our prayers. Actually, when you look at what Paul says, he uses four different words for prayer in this one verse. He talks about prayers. That's your most generic word for prayer, isn't it? And it, it speaks of just It means to ask. So in any sense, when you ask something, you're praying that thing. So Paul says, pray, bring your prayers to God, but also bring petitions. Now that's drilling down. That's getting a little more specific. That's asking you to label specific anxieties and fears and cares and concerns and worries. He's saying, bring your prayers and bring your petitions. And then I love that he adds this in and do it with thanksgiving in your heart. This one's so important. So often we just barge into the Lord's presence and we're like, here's my shopping list of things that I need you to get done for me, God. And we run down the list and then we're out and we say, I'll catch you later. And Paul says, wait, 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 don't just do that. But when you're in the Lord's presence, spend time just soaking your soul in his presence. Be grateful and thankful for all that he's done. It will have a tremendous impact on the way that you are able to view your circumstances. The more thankful you'll become, the the less your problems will concern you. So he says, give thanksgiving. And then he he closes or rounds off the list with this word requests, which is even, even more specific than petitions. And so as the list expands, it gets narrower and narrower and more and more specific. Paul says, in essence, when anxiety attacks, start praying. Bring it all to him. Bring your requests and your concerns. Lift up your needs. And don't forget to give him thanks. And be specific with your requests. That way, when he answers your prayers, you'll know that it was him. So pray. That's it. That's how we win the battle within and drive back depression and put an ax to anxiety. But wait a minute. See, I can climb inside of your brains right now, and I can hear your resistance, and your protest. Because we're at church. We're church people. And so you you say, I've done that. I I do pray. And, And when anxiety attacks, when I start to get worried about where things are headed in this world, I do pray. 
but it doesn't seem to help. It's inescapable. My anxiety doesn't go away. And you're left to wonder, does prayer really work? Now, hold on. Because you see, over in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 specifically, we find the sister verse or the companion verse to what Paul writes here. And Peter tells us something specifically about the way that we're to pray. You see, if your response to worry and anxiety is prayer, but it isn't working, then perhaps it's the way that we're praying that's the problem. And this is where what Peter writes becomes so instructive and so helpful. And he says this in 1 Peter 5, 7. Many of you will know this verse by heart. He says that as children of God, we are to cast our cares upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for us. Cast your cares. Now, the word that Peter uses for cares there, it's the same word that Paul uses for anxieties here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Cast your anxieties on the Lord. Same exact word that's used. But the key to unlocking this verse, in my opinion, is that first word that Peter uses, the word cast. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word cast, the first image that pops into my mind is fishing. Now, I actually brought a prop with me this evening. I brought a fishing pole. So I was talking with my friend about this sermon, and he says, yeah, it's like, it's like fishing. That's what I think of when I think of casting. I'm like, totally, cast your cares upon the Lord. Now, I'm not much of a fisherman, but when I lived in Colorado, we lived within walking distance to this really beautiful lake, and so my kids and I would go down there, and we'd dig up some worms in the yard, and we'd walk down to the lake, and we'd cast our lines into the water. But I'm not much one for just sitting there <laughs> waiting for something to happen. I want a little action, right? And so you cast your line in the water, and then we'd start to slowly reel it back in, and we'd play with it, and we'd jiggle the worms, and we'd reel them in, and we'd cast over here, and then we'd reel it back in, and then we'd cast it over here, and we'd try that spot and that spot, and we'd cast, and we'd reel. And this, you know, we didn't catch many fish, and maybe you can tell me why afterwards, but whatever. <laughs> it's just what we did. And in that picture, I, I see a picture of what I often do when I cast my cares upon the Lord. Lord, I'm bringing this to you in prayer, and I, I cast my finances at your feet. And then I start reeling it back in. I'm reeling it back in. I'm bringing it back, and I'm like, oh, I'm freaked out because payday just happened, and there's not enough in the bank to pay for the needs, and the needs are greater than the resources. And I wear that burden. And I cast my relationship onto the Lord, but then before long, I'm reeling it back in. And we, we cast all of our worries on the Lord and then we reel them back in and we bear them on our own shoulders. But when you go back and you look at the word cast that, that Peter uses, it, it's not the word that's used for fishing. It's a word that specifically means, get this, it means to hurl, to chuck, or to throw. So this is what God is calling us to do. There's nothing there about reeling anything back in. You got to hurdle it, chuck it, or throw it. So we cast our cares upon him, and we walk away. Now, this is really cool. This word, the specific word, is only used on one other occasion in the entire New Testament. It's found in Luke chapter 19, verse 35. And if you were to turn there, here's what you would see. You would see Jesus getting ready to get on the back of a donkey, 
and ride down the Mount of Olives and into Jerusalem in what's known as the triumphal entry. And it says that the disciples, they took their garments and it says they, they cast them on the donkey and they cast them before the donkey as he rode down the path. And this is the only other place in scripture where that specific word gets used in that specific way. And how cool is that picture? That's what God is telling us to do, not cast it and reel it back in. He's saying, cast it and let me carry it for you. And what if, friends, what if the reason why we're burdened down by so many weights and cares and concerns is because we insist on carrying what he has told us to cast? What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11? He said, come unto me, all you who are weary, tired, and heavy laden, and find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, my shoulders are big, my shoulders are broad, I'm strong, and I can carry that weight for you. Just earlier today, I was at the beach with my family, and it's cute, my kids want to help, and they're carrying this stuff, and it's just weighing them down. I'm like, you know, I can grab that for you. No, I got it, Dad. And they're just like falling under the weight. And I'm like, really? Because I've got a free hand and it's just a chair, you know? And that's like God with us. God, you're busy. You've got a lot going on. And we'll just carry this burden. And God's saying, you know what? You don't have to carry that because I already carried it for you when I went to the cross. So quit carrying what I've told you to cast. There's an old hymn by Charles Converse that puts it like this. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. And what a privilege to carry everything. Everybody say everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Amen? Amen. And notice with me why we're invited to carry everything to him in prayer. We can cast our cares on him. Why? Because he cares for us. Different word is used there. The word that's used there speaks of watchful concern. I love the way the Phillips translation paraphrases this verse. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him, for you are his personal concern. (laughs) What a beautiful thought that is. You are God's personal concern. The Bible tells us that he, that is God, is the shepherd of our souls. He's our caretaker. He watches over us. He looks after us. He longs to take care of us. He sees when we get up. He sees when we lie down. His thoughts towards us outnumber the grains of sand that line the shores on all the beaches in the world. He goes before us and behind us. He cares about the things that we care about. And that's why he wants us to bring our cares to him in prayer. There's no care too big and no care too small. If you care about it, then it's a care worth bringing to him. So bring all your cares and your concerns and anxieties and fears and cast those things at his feet. And once you've done that, what does the scripture say? Verse seven, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Remember how earlier I said the Greek word for anxiety literally means a divided mind? Well, check this out. The word for peace, it speaks of oneness of mind. God takes all those frayed, fragmented ends and he sews them back together and he gives us a sound mind. How cool is that? Spending God, time in God's presence brings wholeness to our distracted and divided minds. That's why we're encouraged to spend time with him, meditate on what good job he does taking care of us. Because as we do that, our cares and concerns begin to evaporate. Now, something that's important to point out is Paul didn't say that our, the things that cause our anxiety will disappear. Did you notice that? And that'd be really nice. But that's not what this verse is dealing with. It doesn't say bring your request to God and he'll just wipe that stuff out. That'd be great. But that's not the way that God works. It says when anxiety attacks, bring those anxieties to the Lord and he'll give you his peace even as you walk through those things. Jesus put it like this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't let them be afraid. Now, notice Jesus draws a distinction between the world's peace and, and the peace that he would give. The world's peace comes from having everything work out just the way you want it to so that you can say, and they all lived happily ever after. That's great if that's your story. It just doesn't happen to be anybody's story that I know. And so we need a peace that can carry us through the trial and through the hardship. And that's exactly what we find in the Bible. The peace of God is something different. It comes from a different place. It's a peace that can sustain us in the worst of times because it's not dependent on things turning out a certain way. The peace of God comes to us because we serve and know and worship the God of peace. It comes from knowing that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. It comes from knowing that God is with you and that he is for you. And what that peace does is it just stands like a sentinel at the gates of your heart and it watches over you so that nothing can quite get to you. That's what allows Christians who endure intense suffering and incredible hardship and painful persecution to endure those things with a surpassing peace that defies logic. Isn't that exactly what Paul talked about? It's a peace that doesn't come from understanding. Oh, I see how the dots on this picture work together. We're not gonna get that until we get to heaven. This is a peace that surpasses understanding because God says you wouldn't get it anyway, so what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna bypass your understanding. I'm just gonna stand guard over your heart. I'm gonna watch over you and I'm gonna protect you as you cast all your cares on me. But Paul's not quite done. You see, the peace that we experience, that comes from God, and that's God's to give. But in verses eight and nine, Paul goes on to address another important aspect to experiencing this peace, and this is our part. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, whatever you've learned from me or received or heard from me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So there is a corresponding peace that we experience, not just in casting those things on the Lord, but we have to also, we have a part to play in this battle. In addition to beefing up our prayer life, Paul also addresses what I like to call stinking thinking. 
You see, Paul understood that where the mind goes, the man follows. The Bible says it like this, Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. So that's why learning to run quality control in our minds is so important. It says, think about these things. That's what Paul says. In another translation, it says, make it your habit of thought. And it's possible that perhaps another reason why some of us, many of us, aren't experiencing that peace that we so desperately desire is because we've developed habits of thought that need to be changed. See, I read somewhere, and I have no idea who did this research and counted it, but they said that on average, we think 50,000 thoughts a day. (laughs) Somebody's got a lot of time on their hands. Now, that's a lot of thoughts, but did you know that they also said of those thoughts, 70 to 80% of them are negative in nature? So of 50,000, that means about 40,000 of them need managing and filtering. It's like we all get bombarded with these self-sabotaging thoughts, destructive thoughts, lies. The enemy loves to shoot his fiery darts, and that's why we need to put on the helmet of salvation. And Paul is telling us to take all of those thoughts and run them through the grid that he gives us here in verse 8. Martin Luther liked to say it like this. He said, we can't keep the birds from flying around our heads, but we can keep them from making a nest in our hair. I like that. So we don't get to choose, in other words, which thoughts come into our minds, but we get to choose which ones stay. stay. You know, it's kind of like, we need to be like the spiritual TSA. You know, when a thought comes marching into our mind, we need to make that thought take off its shoes and its belt and pass through a metal detector test. Is this true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? Nope, then it's got to (laughs) go. This is where the battle is won or lost. You see, ultimately, it's our thoughts that shape our attitudes, our emotions, and our behavior. So our thought life is the key. In addition to our prayer life, we've got to shape our thoughts. And how do we do that? By opening up the word and meditating on the word and feeding our minds with the word of God. Be transformed, the Bible says, by the renewing of your mind. We open the word and it just has a shaping effect on our minds. Break up the old roads, the old patterns, the old habits of thought, those super highways that lead us down destructive paths and break new ground and begin to allow your heart and mind to be shaped by what God says about you and not what the culture around us says about you. So as we close, I want you to take a moment to, to pause here and take stock of your own heart and where it's at presently, currently. Are you actively tonight, in this moment, experiencing and walking in that peace of God that Paul talks about in verse 7 and in verse 9? Is that your daily experience? Or perhaps some of you would say, no, that's not the case. My mind, my heart, man, they're like a windswept sea. My heart is filled with all kinds of anxieties and troubles and cares and concerns. And if you were being honest, you'd have to admit that while you desperately want the peace that Paul talks about, that isn't yet your daily experience. Right now, I want to talk to you. You see, I know exactly what that feels like. I've been a Christian walking with the Lord for a long time now. But a couple of years ago, I went through a season where I was just 
really anxious and nervous. I had a lot on my plate at the time. I was pastoring a wonderful, growing fellowship in Colorado where the Lord had taken my family and I. And I was trying to juggle all of these responsibilities at church, wearing a lot of different hats with my responsibilities as a husband to my wife and a father to my kids, and, and, and just trying to manage the finances of the, the church and the, run the organization and the, the church and, and then the family and trying to find that balance. And I was just weighed down by all of these pressures. And, and things started to happen in my life that brought things to a head. On, on a, uh, one occasion, I was preaching and and out of nowhere, I just felt like the room was closing in all around me and things were going black and I felt like I was about to pass out. And it had to stop mid-sentence. I couldn't focus on a word and they had to bring up a bottle of water and a stool for me to sit on and I finished the sermon by reading through my notes while sitting on this stool. Barely got through it. I thought that was weird. <laughs> I think my blood sugar was just low. I had like 14 cups of coffee prior to church and no food and I just chalked it up to that. Too much caffeine. Eat more donuts. Amen. To the glory of God. But not long after that, I was sitting, not in, an, not in an anxious state. I was sitting in my happy place. I was at, at Starbucks, and I was studying for that weekend's message. And once again, the same thing started happening, where my head started just feeling really heavy, and the room started closing in around me, and I just, I walked through all of those practical tips. I'm like, count down from 10, breathe deeply. This is all in your head. There's, you just need to like get a snack or something. But then my fingers started feeling tingly and numb, and, and my toes started feeling numb, and I felt really heavy, and it just felt like an elephant was sitting on my chest. And so I thought, you know what, I just need to get up, and I need to go for a walk. And I walked to my car, and I thought, I'm just going to go home. This is weird. I don't know what's going on. But as I'm driving home, the, all the experiences, they just kept getting worse and worse, and the tingling got more intense, and it started moving up my arm. And I thought, you know what, I've heard about this, and I think I'm having a heart attack. And so instead of going home, I passed that off-ramp and up, and I drove straight to the hospital and walked into the urgent care and made my way to the front desk, and there was a long line of people, and I said, I don't know what's going on, but I think I'm having a heart attack. And within 30 seconds, the doctors were out there. They had me on a bed. They were wheeling me into the back, which, by the way, it's a great way to skip the line, I found out. They wheeled me into the back. They were hooking things up. They started running all of these tests and EKGs and all this stuff on me. And after a battery of tests that all came back normal, they said, I, I don't know, um, but all your tests came back normal. We would recommend that, you know, spend the next 30 minutes here, drink some Gatorade, and then go home and make a, an appointment with your primary care physician. So I did that. Went home and made that appointment, and after she ran another battery of tests that all came back normal, and at that point you're like, I hope you find something. I don't want it to be really bad, but find something so I know I'm not just going crazy. And she didn't find anything, and then she started talking to me about life, which I thought was totally off topic, and how stressed was I, and what was going on. I said, well, I've got this going on, and we're about to make these big financial choices, and we've got, we just made these new hires at the church, and I'm feeling responsible for that, and we've got... And I started to walk through, and then I started freaking out in that moment. She goes, I think I know what the problem is. You weren't having a heart attack. You were having an anxiety attack. Now, this was really hard for me to hear, and I'll tell you why. I'm a pastor. I mean, I'm supposed to help other people through their problems. I'm not supposed to be the one needing the help. And I'm like, oh, this is going to create problems for me. But the thing that wasn't great 
became great because it caused me to have to dig deep and find out what was really going on beneath the surface because during that season, things were going great on the outside and if anybody would have asked me, how are you? I would say, great, life is full, but I'm, I'm just doing great and family's great and the church is great, God is good. But internally, I was just wearing this burden and this weight that God never intended me to carry. So I went home and I did some soul searching and, and God inspired me to write out a list. He said, write down the things, your fears. And I actually went back on my phone this week and I found that list. It's dated February 7th, 2018. And here's what the, this, the list said on my phone. It said, my fears in no particular order. This is <laughs> very revealing, but here you go. This is me. The good, the bad, the ugly. Number one, letting others down. Number two, not meeting others' expectations. Number three, not living up to my own expectations. Number four, not being perfect enough. Number five, not having what it takes. So those are my fears. I'm sure you have your own list that you could come up with. So I wrote that down, and then the Lord led me to do this. He said, now next to each one of those lies that you've believed, I want you to write the corresponding truth. And so here's the list that I came up with. That list said, number one, I will definitely let people down because I'm not Jesus. But that's okay because that job has already been taken. Even though I might let other people down, he will never let me or anyone else down. My only job is to point people to him. Amen? Number two, Jesus told me that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, so I don't have to carry the burden of others' expectations. Jesus already carried my burdens when he went to the cross in my place. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Number three, I will never measure up to my own standards, but again, that's okay because I don't have to be perfect. Jesus was perfect for me, and he has gifted his righteousness to me. Number four, God has already equipped me with everything I need to accomplish everything that he has called me to do. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. I am his beloved, and he will take care of me. <laughs> it still feels good. <laughs> Two years later, almost three years later. So I made this list, and then the next thing that I did is I called um, my sister, who's one of my best friends in the world, and like a prayer warrior, and we, she just prayed with me, and we, we took those things together and laid them at the feet of Jesus. By the way, don't walk through your anxiety struggles alone. Find a buddy, a brother, or a sister who will do battle with you in the arena of the spiritual realm, carrying those things with you. You don't have to carry them on your own shoulders. So we prayed, we gave it over to the Lord, and it hasn't been nothing but smooth sailing since then. Anxiety still comes in waves and attacks, but I'll tell you this much. It's nothing like what it was. And man, life is a, a, a series of battles. But thank the Lord, he's given us the keys to victory. And in all these things, we're more than conquerors. So what about you? What lies have you believed what truths do you need to replace those lies with? What have you been carrying, reeling back in, that God is asking you to cast? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for this time and your word. It's rich, it's nuanced, it's layered, it's deep, it's sweet, it's perfect, it's enlightening. It's like water for thirsty souls. 
But it's more than that. It's also like a hammer that chisels away the stony, rocky, hard places. But it's more than that. It's like a fire that burns away the chaff. But it's more than that. It's like a seed that when it falls on the good soil produces a rich harvest of fruit in our lives, the peaceable fruit of righteousness so that we can experience your love, your peace, your joy, your patience, your kindness, your self-control. And ultimately, Lord, when we come to your word, we are finding you, Jesus, because you are the living word. You are the logos, the word made flesh. And that's what makes it best of all, because when we taste and see that the Lord is good and fix our minds on you, you tell us, I will keep thee in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And so tonight, Lord, for all of us, I lead us in this moment and we take all of those cares, all of those concerns, all of those weights and all of those worries and we cast them at your feet, Jesus, because your big broad shoulders can bear the brunt of every one of our cares. There's nothing too small. There's no care too big. If you care about it, if I care about it, then it's a care that we're supposed to cast. And so we cast those things upon you, Jesus. We ask you to carry them for us. And in their place, would you grant to us a supernatural peace, if need be a peace that defies logic and bypasses our understanding. May it cover us and stand like a guard at the doorposts of our hearts so that we walk out of here light as a feather, Lord, because we're not carrying those burdens anymore, Jesus. We've been redeemed. We've been set free. We've been liberated. And so we walk in freedom and wholeness and life with joy and we worship you with unfettered praise lord we are uninhibited in our praise lord because there's nothing left for us to carry you carried it all praise your name jesus may you be lifted up and glorified in jesus name and all god's people said amen amen thank you for listening to this podcast from maranatha chapel if you haven't already please subscribe for weekly messages Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.